0: Well we have a very big week ahead in this country, don't we? And it's an important week that will determine not all, but some of what life will be like in the next four years. And one thing that's apparent to me is that within our chapel we have people who are passionate about many issues and vigorously support one candidate or another for a variety of reasons. And all that's great. And really I am thrilled that we have very conservative very liberal and very centrist people who are part of our chapel family. It's a great reminder that what is most important is our shared love of Jesus and our commitment to following him. It's a sign of a healthy place when we can gather across differences for Jesus. As one person recently said, Jesus does not call us to agree, but Jesus does call us to love each other. And as we talk about continually, the purpose of life, the purpose of the chapel, the purpose of our faith journey is to love God, love others, and love ourselves. And I hope that all of us will remember that ultimately, our home is with God, not an address in America on one side of the aisle or the other. I hope you've been praying for our country, our leadership, those running for office in all parties and praying that God's will be done and that we will come together as a nation as one. That we will learn to see ourselves as a family, a family that has many differences within, but a family that knows we must approach the future as one. Did you know that the head of the National Rifle Association and President Obama both referred to America as a family? It's interesting to me that dramatically different people with vastly different perspectives on things agree. We need to see America as a family. That's why I love the lyrics from the Dolly Parton song that Miha sang. Some excerpts. Some are preachers, some are gay, some are addicts, drunks, and strays. But not one is turned away when it's family. Some are lucky, others are faint. Winners, losers, sinners, saints, it's, it's all Family. And this notion of family reminds me of something else fundamental to who we are as a country. That something else is captured with the words, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. While some have recently attacked this phrase of e pluribus unum and challenged its place in America, the concept of out of many, one, goes back to the origins of our country. When independence was declared in 1776, it was felt that a seal for the United States needed to be established. And while it took several years and renditions for a seal to be adopted, e pluribus unum as a motto was affirmed right off the bat. Coming together as one in the midst of diversity is at the core of who we are as a nation. And this has served as the bedrock for women's right to vote, the civil rights movement, defeating evil tyrants in world wars and, of course, the end of slavery, among other things. In the midst of all we have to deal with in these uncontrolled COVID days, I have been very concerned about this election cycle as a Christian. I have been concerned because I have witnessed followers of Jesus become apoplectic simply through the mention of a candidate's name. And this is true whether the name is Biden or Trump. Frankly, I felt my own blood pressure increase and anger rise to the surface too, perhaps even some judgmentalness at times. And I've often related to stereotypes I hear when a person groups all liberals or all conservatives into one big pool. And yet I know, I know down to my core, this is not how as a follower of Jesus, I am called to be present in this world. That said, I need to be clear, Jesus does not call us to agree on everything. Jesus does not ask us not to have strong opinions. Jesus does not say, do not get involved. But Jesus has a lot to say to you and to me about how we show up in a world with so many differing views. So today I'd like to share a few thoughts on what I believe we need to keep in mind as followers of Jesus in the days, weeks, and years ahead. And to be clear, before I continue, how you vote is between you and God. Unlike some pastors and parishes, which really astonishes me, I'm not publicly going to share my views on this or any election. Nor am I going to say, as some pastors actually say, that to be faithful, you must vote one way or another. I'm not going to do that. God has given us freedom. But today I do feel compelled as a pastor and as someone who has been immersed in churches for decades to share some thoughts about Jesus at this election time. And please know that through my words, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone except perhaps myself. I've been thinking about Jesus when it comes to America and what I'm witnessing. I share without thought, my thoughts without condemnation and instead I'm hopefully offering something for us to think about. So let's jump into this topic at hand. The current presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church in America is Michael Curry, the first African American to hold that position. And Charlotte and I both had the chance to briefly chat with him a few years ago and hear him preach. He exudes the love of Jesus. Anyway, he recently published a book titled Love is the Way, and in it he says the following. Here are some excerpts. America has essentially segregated itself, not primarily along racial lines, but into communities of like-mindedness. You have Republican-leaning zip codes, Democrat-leaning zip codes, and independent zip codes. And aside from residential segregation, the media segregates us as well. The people who watch Sean Hannity tonight are not going to turn and watch Rachel Maddow and vice versa. It is possible to consume news 24-7 and never hear an opinion that differs from your own. Michael Curry continues, In this country, we need a revival of relationships across differences of religion, across differences of ethnicity, across difference of political ideology. And as Madeleine Albright once said, instead of conspiring with the like-minded, we need to spend more time learning from those we consider wrong-headed. Well, the point of all this, I believe, is that many people have placed themselves into mental silos of impermeable concrete. And when we do this, we put ourselves in the position of only hearing our own voice. And when it's only our own voice we hear, we not only lose empathy and compassion, but we turn other people into objects. And when we turn people into objects, hatred, disdain, and ugliness rise to the surface. And as followers of Jesus, I need to be clear with myself, there is never, never, never an excuse as follower of Jesus, for hatred, disdain, or ugliness to become our modus operandi, ever. We need to remember that Jesus never turned a person into an object. A person was always a human being to Jesus, even when Jesus thought the person was wrong. Now Michael Curry on this point nicely summarizes the thoughts of a fellow named Martin Buber, who years ago wrote the book, I Am Thou. I remember reading it long ago in in college. Perhaps you read the book, I and Thou, too, and I'll use Michael's brief summary. He writes, there are two possible ways we can relate to the world. I and it, and I and thou. Relate to other people as its, and you make yourself the supreme being. It's the Copernican revolution all over again when I am the center of everything. Worse, it makes the other person not only an it, but an object and thing instead of a beautiful fellow child of God. I, thou is very different. Thou recognizes the other as an active subject, a human spirit whose trust can be understood only through relationship. And remember this. You cannot own. You cannot stereotype. You cannot ignore, you cannot throw away a vow. The loving way to experience others requires you to forget what you think you may already know about a person and open yourself up to new possibilities. In his own image, God made every single human being and everybody is God somebody. Well, all of this is a great reminder to me at least that during this tumultuous time, I need to remember that every person I encounter is a child of God. No person is an object but a living being. Everybody is somebody to God. And if all I hear are my own thoughts reaffirmed, I likely am missing something God wants me to hear and pay attention to. Remember the religiously self-certain people around Jesus? They only heard their own voices, and they were so convinced their own view and voice was the only right one that they missed that Jesus was God in the flesh right in front of them. So listening to people with differing views, seeing each person in front of us as God's beloved, not objectifying others so we engage in angry labels and stereotypes and disdain and hatred, being open to the fact we may need to hear something else, using our blood pressure and intense feelings as signals that we need to pause and turn to God. I believe all such things are things we're called to pay attention to as followers of Jesus during this election time. Our gospel reading today is from Matthew. In it we heard the story of Jesus and a man who was not only possessed by demons but blind and unable to speak. And Jesus heals the man, the man is released from his torment, his isolation and his despair. But that day there were some folks who could only hear their own voices and were convinced there was only way, one way of looking at things. There were some religious folks who believed their way was the only way. They accused Jesus of being evil. After all, when you only have one way of looking at something, all other ways must be castigated with vigor. Jesus challenges these mentally siloed religious folks and he uses the opportunity as a teaching moment. Jesus says to them, every kingdom divided itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now to be clear, division is sometimes necessary in life, but it can be very perilous and can lead to the destruction of everyone and everything. Divisiveness can be very costly and can mean that everyone loses in the end. The point, sometimes great divides are necessary, like the question of slavery, to go back into history. But division can never be the ultimate goal. Rather, reconciliation across the divide must be the stated objective. In South, Af- for ex- South Africa, for example, apartheid was a necessary divide. Ending apartheid and sub- subsequent reconciliation and healing, however, was the stated objective, not division, not castigating those on the other side. God is a healer and not a divider, and so when we are divisive, I believe God asks us to be aware of the costs, and there are always costs, and to be intentional about how we express ourselves and how we show up. In addition to all of this, there's something else I believe we need to remember that is fundamental. Something that can be found in our reading today from the letter to the Hebrews. This reading, we use the message version, but there are other versions, is often read or at least referred to on this Sunday, which happens to be All Saints Sunday. And today is All Saints, and through the centuries, many Christians have turned to All Saints Sunday as the time to remember, celebrate, and give thanks for all who have gone before us. It's also the time, however, to recall that at every moment, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, as is typically stated in Hebrews. When we read about heaven in Scripture, when we read about the saints in heaven, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, The word all is used. You see, in heaven, in our heavenly home, in our ultimate destination, and in fact, when things are as they should be on earth as it is in heaven, there is no division. The reason? God does not make the distinctions. We do. Did you know in heaven there are no Republican saints, Democrat saints, American saints, Mexican saints, gay saints, male saints, women saints. They're just saints. All the saints in heaven. And it's a great reminder to us in this very short life that the distinctions we make are not the ones that God makes. This is why Paul wrote the following in his letter to the Galatian people. You've heard this verse. In Christ Jesus, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. In Christ Jesus, there are no religious distinctions. There is no slave or free. In Christ Jesus, there is no male or female. For you are all one. In Christ Jesus, Paul writes. Jesus was clear. Paul was clear. God is clear. Our distinctions are not, distinction, are not God's distinctions. I invite each of us to remember this when divisiveness happens. And we feel the need to separate and move away from others who are different. And one more thing I want to touch on today that is perhaps the most fundamental of everything I've shared. We know historically that at the time that Jesus was born, the city of Corinth was a thriving city. Various historians have studied Corinth and have described it in a variety of ways, that Corinth was a place at the time of great economic capital, capital, urban expansion, prosperity. Yes, there was poverty, but there was prosperity. It was filled with entrepreneurs. It was a major, major trading center in that part of the world. It was a crossroads for just about everything. And there was massive, massive religious and ethnic diversity in Corinth. So Paul decided to travel to Corinth to share the message of the gospel and to start a Christian community there. And Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth, and he worked hard to shape Christians. But after Paul left the city, the church at Corinth broke into contentious, divisive factions. Factions built around different leaders. And these factions around these different leaders fought about everything in every imaginable way. People aligned themselves with various leaders and castigated those who supported leaders other than their own. It was ugly. And the divisions around leaders nearly led to the collapse of the Christian community in Corinth. And when Paul got wind of this, he writes a letter to the people of Corinth. Several, in fact. But his first letter contained his guidance, his hopes, his prayers for how people would ultimately deal with the pain, the division, the hatred, and the castigation. And here's what Paul wrote. And I'm paraphrasing some, but it's the essence of what he was getting at. People of Corinth... You've aligned yourselves around different leaders. You're claiming allegiance to one leader over another. You're fighting. It's gotten so ugly. I want you to remember something as you fight, as you hate, as you label, as you stereotype, as you divide, as you disdain, yell, condemn, and coalesce around each other and different leaders. I want you to remember something. You're called to love. Remember, if my life is not fundamentally about love, I am nothing, Paul writes. If my life and how I show up in the world is not about love, I am nothing. Paul writes, if, I don't, if love does not characterize who I am and how I show up in every setting and domain in life, I have nothing to offer anybody. If love is not my life purpose, my life is meaningless. So as you fight, and you're ugly, and you're acting like anything but Jesus, Paul writes, love. And because you love, remember that love is patient. Are you patient with each other? Love is kind. Are you kind to each other, even those who are coalescing around a leader you don't like? Love doesn't envy. Love is not proud. Are you prideful? Paul writes, love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Corinthians, are you angry? That's not loving. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. Love rejoices with what is true. Love protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love is what it's all about. Love must be at the center of everything. Love is all that matters when it's all said and done. Remember this as you toss each other around as household garbage. Powerful words. Not much to do with a wedding, do they? 1 Corinthians 13 is often read at weddings, but those words are written to a community that is ugly and fractured and divisive around various leaders. So Paul's answer to division love Jesus' answer to division, we know what his answer is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, such things offer us a glimpse, I believe, as to how Jesus would have us show up in the hours and days ahead. And while we certainly have had very tough times in America since our founding, I anticipate this week might get pretty ugly in America. I envision much of what I've talked about happening in ramped up ways. But that's the bad news. The good news is you and I have been given an amazing opportunity right now to walk with Jesus like never before. You and I have been given a great opportunity. remember what Jesus did to remember what Jesus did not do. Look, I'm imperfect, I'm flawed, I'm a sinner. But will you, people of the chapel here today and watching, will you please join me however imperfectly in choosing a path in the days ahead that will not be the one that is common even among Christians? Will you join me, however imperfectly, in choosing a path that will not be the path that is celebrated? Will you join me on the path that will likely not be the one that is applauded or upheld or wins in the polls? Will you join me in the path of Jesus? Will you join me in remembering where we have come from and where we are headed and where our citizenship ultimately really lies? Will you join me in making life about what Jesus invites us to make our lives all about, even in the political domain? And that's love. These days and hours ahead, are we going to allow the love of God to dictate and determine our thoughts, our actions, our feelings and words and responses when stones are tossed, and they will be, when the crowds get loud, and they will be, when the emails get vicious, and they will be, and the rhetoric is anything but loving? Will we allow the love of God to dictate our response? Will our presence, with God's help, exude the love of God when anger is expressed and stereotypes are proclaimed and ugliness comes to the surface. Will you join me? And can we get on our knees and plead with God, plead with God to help us choose to be the loving, passionate, healing, reconciling, embracing presence of Jesus in the midst of the fray? Will we realize that whether we're red or blue, that in the end, Jesus, our shared love of Jesus, our love of others, and our love of ourselves is really what is most important of all. And as it says in the letter of the Hebrews, will we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? We have a tremendous opportunity right now. It's an amazing gift that has just totally landed in our lap. An amazing invitation to follow Jesus, to follow Jesus on the hill to the crucifixion, to follow Jesus, and to show people around us that there's always another way in terms of how we show up in the world, and that is the way of the one we follow, Jesus. Amen. And let us pray and let us take some time in silence and take some time with our Lord and talk to our Lord about how our Lord wants us to be his presence in the coming hours and days ahead and how he wants us to show up in his world.